Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us, if our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we're celebrating today the great feast of the Ascension of the Lord. This is the culmination in some ways the completion of the Easter season because it's the completion of the Easter event. Jesus now raised up to a full participation in the life of God. Maybe to understand the Ascension, we first have to clear up some misunderstandings. We shouldn't take the Ascension in a hyper-literalistic way. Now, here's what I mean, because I don't mean for a second we don't take it realistically. By the Ascension, we don't mean, the Church doesn't mean, that Jesus has undertaken a journey within space and time. As though the body of Jesus now goes up into the sky and continues a journey ever deeper into space. What if we imagined even the body of Jesus moving at the speed of light? Well, he'd be barely beyond the galaxy after a couple thousand years. The Ascension does not mean, basically, that Jesus goes through a journey within space and time. But, rather, that Jesus undergoes a journey out of space and time into a different and higher dimension, into the dimension of God's own life. If I can borrow some of the terminology of my colleague here, Father Charlie Meyer. Father Meyer says that during the Easter appearances, when Jesus can be seen, his body can be touched, and yet he has some strange qualities. What we have there are happenings on an event horizon. Jesus, who has already moved into this dimension of God, is nevertheless still appearing along an event horizon, where our dimension of space and time faces this transcendent dimension. The ascension means that Jesus has now definitively passed out of our dimension of space and time into the dimension of God's way of being. He's in a different metaphysical dimension, not just in a different physical place, if I can put it that way. Now, why is this important to us? Christians, it means that a lowly human nature, this human nature that we share, has been elevated to, has ascended to a participation in the very way of being of God. Our lowly humanity in Christ's humanity has now been transfigured, transformed, elevated, so as to share in the very way of God's being. It means that we too, hoping in Christ, can aspire to a similar elevation. How wonderful if we could live in a way that transcends the limitations 
of space and time. Look, the fact that I'm standing here in a chapel at Mundelein Seminary means I can't be anywhere else in space and time. I'm limited by this body. Now, through technology, the fact that I'm being audio taped now and videotaped means that I can, to some degree, overcome those limitations. But still, no matter how impressive the technology, I'm still going to exist somehow in space and time. But what if I could communicate in a way that went beyond those barriers? What if I wasn't imprisoned by this materiality of mine, by the materiality that surrounds me, that conditions me, by the forces of gravity and so on? What if I could exist in that same expansive way that God exists? In some ways, that's what the ascension of the Lord opens us to to hope in this possibility. You know, just recently I was reading an article written by a specialist in near-death experience. I found in my years in pastoral work, once you mention this phenomenon of near-death experience, lots of people have stories to tell. Well, here's an extraordinary one that I read in this article. There was a young girl, a young woman in her teens, who was in a terrible accident and she was brought to the hospital, by all accounts, dead. Her pupils were fixed and dilated. She was not breathing. Her heart was not beating. There was no gag response. She was, by almost all objective measure, dead. A doctor came in, began to work on her. Then a second doctor arrived who was more of a specialist. And the first doctor said, oh, thank God you're here. And the two of them worked and worked and worked on this young woman and eventually managed to revive her, to bring back the bodily functions. But still, she was in a coma for several days. When she came out of the coma, she immediately recognized the doctors. And she said, oh, you're the doctor who, when you came in, the first doctor said, oh, thank God you're here. And the two of them were, were flabbergasted. How, how did you possibly know that? You were not only unconscious, you were by all objective measures dead when he came in the room. She said, well, at the time, I was outside my body, and I saw him come in. Then she proceeded to describe with great accuracy all the people that came into the room that attended to her. Physicians she had never met, nurses she had never met, who were not on the shift at that time, and she named them all. But the most extraordinary thing was, she said, you know, there's a red gym shoe on the seventh floor windowsill on the back of the hospital. And they said, well, what do you mean? She said, there's a, there's a red gym shoe on the windowsill. In fact, the lace kind of goes down and it curves around underneath the gym shoe. Well, they were, you know, interested, amazed, and somebody checked. And sure enough, on the seventh floor windowsill, there was a red gym shoe with the little lace coming down underneath the shoe. The girl claimed that when she was, by all accounts, dead, she had left that room, had gone outside around the hospital, and there she floated and she saw that gym shoe. Well, they brought it in and they say everyone in the hospital wanted to see the gym shoe, to touch it. Now, do I tell you that story so to make you believe in near-death experience? Not necessarily. I tell it because I think it opens to us this intriguing possibility 
that maybe there is a mode of being that transcends our ordinary realm, that transcends the ordinary limitations of space and time. When we say that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, that's what we mean. That there is this possibility for us lowly human beings. Might we get hints of it? Who knows? Perhaps. But the ascension, I think, awakens in us this hope. Remember when someone asked St. Paul, what is the resurrection like? What is the resurrected body like? Paul said, it's like having a spiritual body. It's still a body, yes. It was the body of Jesus that ascended. But now a spiritual body with the powers and capacities of the Spirit. That's what we hope for through the ascension of the Lord. I love, too, the image of Dante. You know my love for Dante's Divine Comedy. In the Paradiso, Dante's gone through hell, he's gone through purgatory, and now with Beatrice, he flies through the realms of the heavens. That's a spiritual body, if you will, flying into the mystery of God. Friends, what else does the ascension signal to us? It signals, I think, because of all this, a deep desire to worship. Listen now in the account that we have after the ascension. The disciples then returned to Jerusalem filled with joy. There they were to be found in the temple constantly, speaking the praises of God. Once they had witnessed this translation of Jesus into a higher dimension, once they knew he had been drawn into the life of God, what did they want to do? They wanted to praise God. They wanted to worship. They spent the whole day in the temple. Our worship here below, the liturgy, the Mass, is not just a celebration of ourselves. It's not just gathering us to find deeper inspiration. The Mass, the liturgy, is a participation now in the heavenly life. Look, from the very beginning of the Mass, when we bless ourselves in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are situating our lives in the dimension of the Trinity. We are straining upward, hoping, looking for a participation in God's life. How often in the liturgy we invoke the angels in the Holy, Holy, may our voices blend with theirs. And then we sing the angelic song during the Gloria at the beginning of Mass. We invoke the angels. We eat the bread of angels at the Eucharist. We drink the blood of Christ, anticipating the eschatological banquet when we, with all the saints and angels, sit around the throne of God. Throughout the Mass, in our worship, in our praise, we orient our lives on high. We look beyond the restrictions of space and time, hoping and straining toward this life to come. The ascension awakens in us this liturgical desire. Now, here's the paradox. You might be getting uncomfortable with this language. You might be thinking, well, wait a minute, that sounds very pie in the sky, very otherworldly, as though now you don't care about this world. No, the paradox is, the more you are straining toward heaven, the more your eyes are fixed upon this life to come, 
the more dedicated you are to this world and its concerns and its sufferings and its struggles and its sorrows, the more you want to make a difference. I've often said, the people in the 20th century, I mean your Gandhis and your Martin Luther Kings and your John Paul II, the people in the 20th century who made the greatest difference in the transformation of this world were precisely those who had their eyes fixed on high. Precisely those who worshipped and praised and in the liturgy looked upward to the high things of God. These aren't mutually exclusive, they're mutually implicative. Looking on high and being in love with the world. In the few minutes I have, one last thought about the Ascension. In the Acts of the Apostles we hear this. They were still gazing up into the heavens when two men dressed in white, angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up at the skies? There's the paradox. The Ascension is the beginning of the church in many ways. The work of the church commences. Now why? Precisely because Jesus has left this dimension of space and time in the ordinary sense. What's he done thereby? He's cleared room for us. What if you're an aspiring politician? And Lincoln were still around. Churchill, Roosevelt, Napoleon were still around. Well, there'd be no room for you. You'd be afraid to act. How wonderful in a certain way that Jesus does leave this dimension of space and time, leaving room for us now to do his work. And so, Christians, on this Feast of the Ascension, keep your eyes fixed on this wonderful life to come, this hope held out to us. In a spirit of praise and worship, look above. And it's precisely then that you have a greater sense of your obligation here below. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.